0: But well, we're continuing in the series. I want to welcome you, whether you're watching online, watching on delay, or actually here in the auditorium this morning. And we're in the series called Breaking Free, because God wants you to be free. In Galatians 5 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, you've been called to live in freedom. And I want you to just take a moment to reflect. So what is entangling your life? At the moment? Are you carrying some excess baggage? What is it that is hindering you at the moment? And we all go through seasons, although some of us may have been carrying some things for a long time and it's just slowing you down. We accumulate stuff just like we do around our house. And whether in life or physically, emotionally, or spiritually, we get this excess baggage. And this is a season when we're saying, God, help me declutter my life. And this morning, I want to speak to what I think is a really big topic. And that's the whole issue of breaking free of guilt. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse one to two, "'Let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely.'" And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And everything that I say today, the greatest key that we can take out of this is that as we look to Jesus, more stuff falls off our lives. But there's also biblical principles. And he says, lay aside the weight and the sin that clings. And this is not about a journey of guilt. This is about a journey of freedom, So let's talk a little bit about the baggage of guilt. David talks about it as something that is completely overwhelming at times. And even though David is a man after God's own heart, he does some terrible things through his life. He's involved in adultery, murder, but his heart keeps coming back to God. But in that process, the baggage of guilt just weighs him down. And in Psalm 38 and verse four, he says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. It's like a burden too heavy to bear. And the emotions that he's describing, he says, I literally feel like I'm drowning in this. This is a a weight just sucking me down. I'm being crushed by it. And we need to just take a moment to go back to the origin of guilt and shame. The Bible says when God created mankind, Adam and Eve, and placed them in the garden, Genesis 2 verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There might be a few young people that haven't got past the word naked yet, but they were naked and felt no shame is the key thing. The nakedness that is described here is an expression of perfect innocence. And disobedience, them disobeying the command of God, changed everything. And that's the reality. And we touched on this last week that we can't keep redefining sin and think we're going to feel less guilty because sin changes everything. Disobedience, living a life apart from God, changes everything in your world. And God never designed you to carry guilt. But when we ignore Him and His commands, then we end up, carrying guilt as much as we redefine it. And in the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. They realized they were exposed, as it were. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And we see immediately they have the sense of regret, of guilt, and of shame. I want you to just reflect on those three words for a moment, because we're going to come back to them. Regret, guilt, and shame—we've all felt them. And their eyes are open, and suddenly they feel us. And so that the, their tactic is to go and hide, is to find something to cover their shame, something to cover their guilt. And when we're feeling guilty, when we're feeling shame, when we're feeling regret, we do go to do the same thing. We may not be using fig leaves but we end up using things as fragile as that, if it were, to excuse, to justify, to explain away. Because regret and guilt and shame are the painful consequences of sin. Let's talk about those three things. Regret is what you think about. It's a constant nagging feeling that embeds itself in our thoughts and then in our emotions. And it's this incredible thing, this regret. It's kind of like a washing machine tossing you around in a wash of what if and if only. And the psalmist says in Psalm 51, David actually confessing his sin, for I am conscious of my transgressions. I'm conscious of them. I'm thinking about them. I acknowledge them. My sin is ever before me. One translation says, my sin haunts me. And it's that whole thing of your mind wrestling with what you've done and the feelings that come from it. So that's regret. It's what you think about. Guilt is more about what you feel. And it's that constant nagging that once this thing's embedded in your thoughts, it now gets into your emotions And that's why we often say, I feel guilty about. And while we might use that expression about something small, we've probably all thought it or said it about ourselves or maybe even out loud, I feel guilty about. And David talks about the sheer exhaustion of the emotion of guilt. Another Psalm, Psalm 38 and verse 8, he says, I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. So regret is what you think about. Guilt is what you feel. And shame is how you see yourself when you're in the cycle of regret and guilt and shame. So it says the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized. They suddenly saw themselves differently. Previously, they had been covered, as it were, by the light of God, the glory of God. And now, because of their disobedience, that's removed, and suddenly they see themselves. And shame is about how we see ourselves. And it's a terrible thing. And instead of saying shame on you, God wants to lift shame off you. Regret and guilt and shame relocate us emotionally, psychologically relationally, their relationship with God and with each other changed immediately. And immediately God reaches out to try and reposition them. They are hiding. They have repositioned themselves with guilt and shame and regret by hiding from God. And the Bible says in Genesis 3 verse 9 and the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? It's not like God didn't know. He knows everything. He's trying to get a, Abraham, uh, not Abraham, Adam and Eve to say, We're here. We're not going to hide anymore. We're going to come and try and resolve this in your presence, Lord. And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The Bible then says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Adam took leaves from an inanimate tree. God deprived an animal of its life because Adam and Eve and humanity were to learn that sin could not be covered by a bunch of leaves snatched from a tree as you pass by. What removes sin is pain and the shedding of blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And hence we point all the way forward to Jesus, even in that moment. Because Peter, I don't know if he was reflecting on the Genesis account or not, but says this in 1 Peter 1 and verse 18, you are not redeemed, forgiven, restored in your relationship with God. You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold and maybe we put in, Records, fig leaves, but you were redeemed, made right with God, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And the wonderful thing is the minute you say yes to Jesus, you are repositioned to be in Christ. You no longer need to be hiding, whether from God or from others, living in regret and guilt and shame. The minute you say yes to Jesus, he repositions you, God repositions you and places you in Christ. In fact, Paul in Colossians says your life is hid with Christ in God. What an incredible safe place to be. Instead of hiding from God, you're hidden in God. And all his goodness, all his righteousness is imparted to you. So we've looked at this whole issue of regret and guilt and shame. But let's talk about the freedom of forgiveness. Because the prophet Isaiah tells us that when Jesus would suffer on his way to the cross and on the cross, he was literally picking up our baggage of regret, our baggage of guilt, our baggage of shame. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah declared about the suffering Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely He took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions, our sin, and He was crushed. For our iniquities. You see, on the cross, Jesus picked up your baggage of regret, of guilt, and of shame. He picked up mine, He picked up ours. And God's grace, God's forgiveness is all about, and I hope you catch this, about us getting what we do not deserve. It's about us getting what we do not deserve. And I want to take you to a moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross, nailed to it, not for his sin, but for ours. And next to him are two criminals. And Luke tells us that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It's amazing. Even in death, he has a man mocking. Jesus but the other criminal rebuked this mocking companion of his don't you fear God he said since you're under the same sentence we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve you see there's this thought embedded in our psyche that we get what we deserve. But forgiveness, grace, it's all about you and I getting what we don't actually deserve. He says, we get in what our deeds deserve, but this man has done no wrong. And then he turns to Jesus in pain and in agony. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus doesn't turn to him and say, well, I'm afraid you don't deserve to go into my kingdom. You deserve this death. You deserve eternal separation. You deserve hell. You deserve condemnation. Without hesitation, at that simple request, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Your simple request... Your words, your faith put in me changes everything. And I want you to think about this because many of us modify our behavior. We become religious and think there's a whole lot of stuff we have to do to get forgiven. But this thief was never gonna walk on the planet again for his feet were bound to a cross where he was going to die. He couldn't demonstrate that his behaviour was better, improved, and therefore deserving of heaven. He couldn't get down from that cross and perform good works and somehow earn his way there because his hands were tied to a cross. He couldn't turn over a new leaf and point to a before and after kind of shot of his life. He was going to die on that cross that day. He couldn't even join church. And church is something, the ecclesia, the called out, that God has called us to belong to while we're on the planet. But he couldn't even do that. He couldn't get off the cross. Paul in the book of Ephesians captures this thought of what we deserve and that we actually get what we don't deserve. He says, like the rest, he's talking like the rest of humanity, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. You see, God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. The minute we put our trust in Jesus, He gives us forgiveness. He gives us cleansing. He gives us the gift of eternal life. He gives us grace. And here's a key thought that I hope resonates with somebody listening today. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just as we've taken a snapshot into the story of Adam and Eve and see how regret and guilt and shame have access to our lives as human beings, We've taken another snapshot of an interaction between a dying man who couldn't change anything except put his trust, his faith in Jesus and seen how forgiveness flowed. He didn't get what he deserved. He got what he didn't deserve. He got forgiveness. He got cleansing. He got the promise that he'd be in heaven with Jesus that day. So I want to just take a little snapshot of how God's forgiveness works. If we confess, if we get real with God about who we are, what we've done, and confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. And the Bible says there are three things that God does with our sins, and all accomplished through what Jesus did on the cross. Number one, God separates us from our sins. And I hope you catch this. You are not your sin. That is not the way that God views you. We often see ourselves, others sometimes see ourselves, us through our sin, through our brokenness, but you are separated from your sin. God does not see you as your sin. He sees you as an individual forgiven, cleansed, set free. In Psalm 103, verse 10 and following, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Notice that thought of what we deserve. Or repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He's removed our sin, our transgressions from us. I want you to notice, God says, I'm going to send you and your sins in opposite directions. That's what forgiveness is. The second thing that God promises is that He'll bury our sins. And the reality is, while well, I'm going to quote an Old Testament verse, God buried our sin with Jesus when He died. And your forgiven sin is unable to be recovered. The prophet Micah celebrates this and he says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives? You know do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You see we, many of us think God's reluctant in showing us mercy, but it says He delights in showing us mercy. You will again have compassion on us, and you will treat our sin tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Just think of that: God bundling up the baggage of your sin the baggage of your regret, the baggage of your guilt, the baggage of your shame, and hurling it into the deepest part of the sea. And then he puts up a big sign, no fishing. And some of you need to stop fishing for your past and live in the freedom that Jesus offers. And then the final thing, and this is an astonishing thing, he not only separates us from our sin, he not only buries our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. But he forgets our sin. We think of forgetfulness as a weakness, and for us it is. But imagine if you were to choose what you could forget and never have it influence your behavior again. Well, God has that ability to choose to forget your sin. And this promise is repeated three times, I think, in the Scripture. I think God's trying to say something. I'm just going to look at one out of the Old Testament, one out of the New. Isaiah 43 and verse 25, God speaking. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. And some of you... Some of us, I've done it, we've all done it. Keep me, oh God, remember this. He goes, No, I forget, forget, I don't know what you're talking about. And, but, but God, don't you remember? And we start, and God goes, No, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. Because when God forgives you, he promises to forget as an act of his will what he forgave you about. In case you just think at some Old Testament thing, look at the right of Hebrews, Hebrews 8 and verse 12. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. I will forgive and I will never again remember. And I want you to get a hold of this. When you come to Christ or having come to Him, when you confess any sin, He says, I'm going to separate you from it. I don't treat you. I don't look at you as your sin. I bury your sin in the person of Jesus. It was dealt with. It's done. It's finished. And I forget it. Now that you've got honest with me, we're not going to talk about this again. You see, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Paul then says, stand firm then and don't let yourself be burdened again in the yoke of slavery. I wonder if you've ever found real freedom in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not out of religious behaviour. You see, religion is about what you do because you feel guilty. Christianity, following Jesus, is about celebrating what He's already done on the cross and in the power of His resurrection. And I encourage you to establish a relationship with Jesus. And just as the thief on the cross simply used words, he had nothing else to offer. Remember me, he said. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will experience salvation.